the Slaughter in May podcast. Welcome to the first in our series of three podcasts looking at the changing landscape and competing interests around data, big data, competition and regulation. In this podcast, Jordan Ellison and Ariel Izraki discuss the tension between privacy and competition considerations and whether the GDPR is the most anti-competitive legislation ever passed. Jordan is a competition partner in Slaughter and May's Brussels office and Ariel is the Slaughter and May Professor of Competition Law at Oxford University. Hi, this is Jordan Ellison from the Slaughter and May Antitrust Group. Um, I'm joined today by Professor Ariel Zretke from Oxford University. Um, and we're going to talk a bit about the relationship between data and big data and competition law. This is a, a really kind of hot and controversial topic um, the subject of kind of new regulation and potential regulation both in Europe and the UK and Asia and lots of places. Um, so it's a it's a tricky subject, but we're we're going to see what what sense we can make of it. Um, thinking about whether big data is the key to competitive markets, whether there's tension between user privacy and data um, and privacy considerations versus competition considerations. And whether um, there's such a thing as too much data. So, Ariel, um, I spoke to a, an antitrust regulator recently who told me that GDPR was the most anti-competitive piece of legislation ever passed. Um, why, why do people say that? And, and do you agree that, that there's some sort of tension between privacy law like GDPR and competition considerations. Uh, yes. Hi, Jordan. First, uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to join you on this uh, podcast. Uh, yeah, I certainly agree. There is a tension there. Um, and it's helpful to try and explain how exactly do the two uh, areas of privacy and competition interface. I think if you look at the GDPR, it was set to protect our data and naturally it creates trade-offs between data protection and other dimensions of welfare, including competition. So you can see a decline in competition for data and some sort of a reduction in the dynamism of data markets. And some of these effects, I think were anticipated from the start, even before the GDPR came into force. But some of them are relatively new and they reflect uh, possibly a strategic use, or some might even say abuse, of the GDPR uh, by some key platforms. So the most or the more obvious trade-offs uh, included at the beginning the GDPR compliance costs, for instance. Uh, we know that smaller businesses might find it much more difficult to deal with the risks associated with data collection. Uh, so the GDPR has an inbuilt uh, benefit for larger companies with deeper pockets. Um, there is also an increased compliance cost um, that reduces, because of that, uh, the number of data suppliers. Um, so that also creates some sort of an impact that favors concentration um, of data. Data collaboration is also affected by the GDPR. So unless you're vertically integrated or you have operations on multiple uh, markets, if you're a smaller firm, usually you would have relied on cooperation to achieve data synergies, 
but now because you need to acquire consent and because you remain responsible for the monitoring of the use of the data that you shared, this becomes a much more tricky um, exercise. So again, large multi-sector, multi-product companies do not face these difficulties. So again, the GDPR favors them. But what has become obvious is that be beyond these elements that were uh, pretty obvious from the start, large platforms also seize the opportunity to possibly use the GDPR uh, in a way that increased their control over data. So Google, for example, was accused by publishers and some of its competitors to use it strategically to reduce competition in the advertising uh, sector and gain access to larger uh, data pools. Um, so just before the GDPR came into force, already Google then um, required publishers to amend their consent, their terms and conditions to include Google as uh, one of the entities that will gain access uh, to the data and to include provisions that will enable Google to do or engage in analysis beyond just serving ads um, to publisher sites. Uh, Google also positioned itself as a controller of personal data. Um, so that as well increased its ability to determine the purpose, uh, the means of processing data. And you see also the use of GDPR as some sort of a strategic exclusion. For instance, if you're a small entity or medium-sized entity, you will likely use the, the default uh, consent management platform that Google offers. And this one already limits your ability to share data with others. So what it does is, if you think of the ad tech um, industry, it creates a lot of pressure on other companies to gain access to data because suddenly um, publishers will share information with a much more narrow group of companies. And more recently, there has been a lot of debate on cookies. Obviously, from a privacy perspective, we all benefit when we have less cookies. Uh, but in essence, it gives platforms a significant advantage. If platforms can take away cookies using GDPR and privacy as the rationale for doing so, they still gain access to our data because we spend most of our time there. And again, it goes back to the comments that you see, and you mentioned, Jordan, from, from the market when people say GDPR, um, in a way, uh, starts generating uh, much more distinct anti-competitive effects. So I don't, I don't know if I would say it's the most anti-competitive regulation, but certainly the trade-offs are significant. And, and I think this is what happens often with regulation. You have a static tool, very difficult to predict how future dynamics on the market uh, might affect the impact of the tool. And I think what we see now is the trade-offs are such that really we need to adjust the regulatory environment to, to widen the access to data. Yeah, no, that, that, that's really interesting, Ariel. And, you know, I would say as full disclosure, someone who advises um, large platforms on these issues, you know, I think that the, the, the platforms are often genuinely between a rock and a hard place because, um, you know, GDPR really did change a lot of their um, responsibilities in terms of, you know, how widely they could share data. And some of those kind of changes had real effects on third parties, but it was required by the law. And I think 
competition regulators and privacy regulators you know, need to be talking to each other to try and somehow mediate some of these tensions? Uh, absolutely. I, I, this is the reality of regulation, that so often we find um, that something that looks perfect on paper, uh, the trade-offs are much more significant than what would have, one would have expected. And, and I think, in, I, mean, I mean, the concerns that you have on the market are viable concerns. It doesn't mean there is nothing illegal uh, that was done by the platforms. They comply with the set of regulations. Sometimes they may use it to their advantage, but these are the rules of the game and they operate within the rules of the game. But this is why you see in the past year and even, even beyond that, such a movement to change the regulatory environment, so to supplement the GDPR with other instruments that will try and, on one hand, provide us as users with privacy and control over, over our data, and on the other hand, appreciate the impact this has had on, on competition. Yeah, and let's talk a bit about that, because I think one proposal that's coming out is let's solve this by kind of requiring big platforms to share data with others. So maybe in some anonymized fashion, for example, require that the big data sets that can be used for machine learning, that, you know, the Amazons and Facebooks of the world are required to share those with, you know, new entrants and smaller players. Do you think that's kind of the key to this? Do you think that that will kind of unlock more competition? Um, what, what sort of effect do you think that sort of intervention would have? Yes, I, I think th this is certainly seen as one of the key levers that can be used now in order to, to correct um, the, the concentration of data that we see on the market. And data sharing is now really high on the public agenda. Um, and, and you can see how you have a range of instruments that can be used to, um, to facilitate data sharing. So the Commission last week proposed new tools for data governance. And as part of that, there is the whole concept of encouraged sharing of public data, industry, business to business, customers to business, uh, build trust. So this is one aspect of it. Of course, we have ongoing legislation and proposals um, that are aimed at redesigning access to data and allowing newcomers access to markets. And beyond that, in our little universe of competition enforcement, data sharing is a viable remedy. And many competition agencies are discussing the possibility of using remedies that require the sharing of data. It can be under Article 102 in the case of abuse. If data is deemed essential, it can be under Article 101. If you have an agreement that restricts uh, the access to data. It can also be, if we think of the UK, part of market investigation, or if we think of the equivalent in the EU under the new competition tool, again, the ability to allow access to data. And the risk with all these ideas is, just like with competition intervention, if you impose excessive data sharing, you risk that you might chill the incentive to innovate. Uh, you might actually facilitate free riding uh, so so it, it can have a negative impact on, on both ends. You might shield the incentive of the platforms to provide us with certain services and invest in improving the services and improving the methods that they're using. And you might actually create such an incentive for free riders that they themselves will not in invest in engaging in anything that supports 
um, better uh, data gathering uh, and so forth. So what we need to achieve from when we think of data sharing is this balanced approach when you try to leave sufficient incentives for the platforms and try not to harm their key activity and at the same time create sufficient competitive pressure that reduces barriers to expansion and barriers to entries. Uh, in many ways, reignite dynamic competition on the market. And I think that if, if you look at the possible effect that this will have on large platforms, it might exactly be that. I mean, we don't know specifically how this might look like, but if you think of a platform like Facebook and you think that they run their social network, if they are forced uh, to some extent to engage in data sharing, this will not affect their core business. Because of network effects, because of the position they hold, you wouldn't expect that to destabilize their position, but what it will do is will enable other companies to possibly compete in parallel markets. Uh, so better products, better targeting of products. If you think of news feeds, media, finance, e-commerce, training algorithms. So data sharing as an idea can be a solution. It is not a solution that is going to uh, reorganize the markets, but it might just be what we need in order to open the access to those markets, especially to parallel markets, uh, open them for competition. Uh, maybe, maybe one more comment is, is, is relevant here, because it's important that we also appreciate the limitations of the remedy. Beyond the scope of data, that can be uh, designed as part of a remedy or regulation and the nature of access that, that you get. Um, we have to remember that even if you have a lot of data, what you need beyond the big data is the big analytics. So if you have small companies that don't have the capacity to engage in sophisticated analytics, the data will not necessarily help them. You need the data that will be provided in a form that has minimal friction. So it needs to be usable. Uh, there is a time dimension. So data that is extremely useful for me in the next hour, because I know that you were searching something online, might be extremely meaningless in, in a day or two. Uh, and of course, there is the issue uh, of the GDPR uh, that you alluded to uh, in your question. I mean, what type of data, how detailed the data can be, of course, there are limits on personal data, although Article 6 and 9 of the GDPR give us some exemptions, generally speaking, it's not that even if you intend to share data, you can easily share all the data that you have. Yeah, and I think that that kind of debate about the impact on incentives is fascinating. And I think people have talked a lot about, will, will you chill the incentives on the big platforms if you make them share data? Um, so, you know, they if will they keep offering free services and thinking of new free services to attract user attention if they don't kind of get to, um, you know, keep exclusive use of the data they gather through that? Um, but I think the bit that's been talked about less is the second point you alluded to about will you have some sort of chilling impact on the the potential new rivals? I think that's a fascinating idea. If you have, you know, people who small innovative companies out there who are trying to come up with something completely paradigm breaking and the, the new big thing and is there a risk that instead of going down they're plowing their own furrow and going to break the paradigm once there's a, some sort of data access remedy they almost 
their first port of call becomes going to Brussels and trying to get the data in the existing paradigm and that you just somehow, you know, lose that kind of, you know, real striving to be the next big thing rather than getting access to the current big thing. Um, but I, you know, I think there's, there's theories going both ways on that. And um, yeah, it, I think no one has the the full answer yet, but it'll be interesting to see how we, we balance all that going forward. Yeah, we, like with everything, the key is to appreciate that as we try to correct, we might also distort. And with any intervention that we think of, this is the real challenge. There's no doubt that there is need to be some sort of an adjustment on the market for data. You just have to be extremely careful once you start implementing it because you want to keep the incentives there uh, for both sides and at the same time facilitate entry and expansion. Yeah. So then the other the other side of this is, you know, for the people who say there's this there's a data problem at the moment, there's an asymmetry in the big platforms having, you know, more data than their, their challengers. So one possible solution is that data sharing thing we've just talked about. Another solution that seems to be emerging is not making the big guy give data to the small guy but just restricting how the big guy uses data. Um, so, you know, both the EU and the UK seem to be looking at this idea of trying to limit um, a big multi-product company's ability to, you know, gather user data on one surface or one product and then join it all up and use that to inform their other products. Now, that's a way of solving an asymmetry if one exists, but it feels to me like it's quite different from normal pro-competitive interventions because you're not really helping the third party do anything new and you're sort of reducing the capabilities of the existing players. So for me, I'm quite I'm quite suspicious of this um, this idea, but interested in any reflections you have on that. It's a really it's a really good question and and. and I, th I think it's, it, it depends a little bit on context because this is not the data silos and, and the idea of, of um, really trying to limit um, data sharing within organization is not necessarily an attempt to replace the possibility of data sharing. So I, th I think um, here the concern is slightly different, although we're talking about uh, the idea again is is um, we talk about data, but here it is about the oversharing, I guess, of platforms because the understanding is that what happens today with platforms is that they occupy uh, very privileged positions. So they are gatekeepers; they benefit from market power. Um, they operate very large ecosystems with many products and services within. And what happens is that within their own ecosystem, they act, they act as, as quasi-regulators. They set the rules, they create the rules that govern the autonomy. And as they do so, they also set the rules on what happens to data that they harvest or receive um, within their ecosystem. Um, and the problem that you have is that often, and, and this is where I think it is not necessarily a replacement to data sharing. The problem goes to the fact that often the consent um, is either uh, given as default or might even be argued as forced consent. 
um, and it enabled them to leverage market power from uh, one uh, market to another within their uh, ecosystem. But the theories of harm at the heart of data silos um, are quite traditional. So you can, you can run a theory of harm of exploitative abuse. For example, if you say there is excessive data harvesting or maybe a, a quality degradation of privacy setting. And that this is a little bit like the, the Facebook case that was run by the Bundeskartellamt. And you can run an exclusionary argument, which is closer to the way you presented it in the question, that what you say is um, you are able um, to leverage market power from one market to another by using information that you gain in one context, in a different context, and you do not share it with others. So you create this anomaly. <clears throat> um, so, so I think this can be seen, if you look at it from a, the exploitative uh, perspective, this can be seen as a standalone remedy, regardless of data sharing, because it is there to protect us as users. If you look at it from the exclusionary perspective, this can be seen as something that supplements the idea of data sharing. And you could argue that um, as long as uh, data separation um, does not create distortion that outweigh the efficiency benefits, then maybe it is a good remedy. And again, if you think of it from the perspective of the companies, um, of course, much will depend on the business model. There will be some technical challenges. Uh, there is clearly a cost. Uh, there will be uh, fewer economies of scale. So there is a loss there in terms of efficiency. So there is a, a drop in the quality of data that is gathered. But if you think of a platform that runs advertising, still, this should not really affect its ability to sell ads to businesses because it should have sufficient data to run that. And it's even more than that, because most um, <clears throat> publishers and advertisers will anyway be locked in to those platforms because those platforms offer an excellent path to users. Um, so again, if, even if this goes ahead, and I assume it will, it will become something that we see more often, I don't think it can undermine the core business, but it will be something that will change, um, will change some of the efficiencies, some of the technical aspects. It will probably also affect their behavior. I think that the way you react if you're a platform um, to data silos is you try to increase the stickiness and the engagement on your core business. So, so you react by trying to see where do you gain the most value and try to generate there the data that you require for that, for that operation. So like anything with uh, enforcement, once you, you put forward an enforcement instrument, businesses adjust immediately and, and react. So I don't think it will be the end of the world, um, but I do see the benefit from my, from my perspective, mostly because of the exploitative nature of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's going to be, um, you know, all this is quite, you know, one can kind of construct a theory of harm and construct a defense and both of those things conceptually and in the end it will all be quite fact specific, I think, um, and it will be a judgment on whether whether the any, you know, how big is a loss of efficiency and is that loss of efficiency, you know, outweighed by 
by benefits either to consumers or to competition. Um, and I think people on both sides of this debate need to keep thinking about efficiency and 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 innovation. I think I think that's what everyone's aiming at. And some people think you, you'll you'll get that by allowing the you know the big platform to do as much as they as they can. Other people think you'll get that by creating more opportunities for challengers. Um, but I think so long as everyone's kind of focused on the goal of um, of you know efficiency and productivity and 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 that sort of growth, um, you know, the debate can kind of happen within hopefully um, fairly um, agreed on agreed ground at least. Um, I think one thing we can say for sure is that whatever happens in, in 10 years' time, we'll, we'll look back on what we've been thinking about now and laugh at how misguided we all were or, you know, how everything turned out differently from, from how we expected. I think that's kind of guaranteed for, um, for everyone in this debate. I think that that has always been the tradition in competition enforcement. I mean, we're, we're extremely wise <laughs> when, we, when we look back at enforcement actions. Um, but, but I completely agree with you that it is about a balanced approach. And, and I, I believe all involved appreciate that because you really want to, um, to retain the key incentives for those who drive innovation, for those who drive the digital ecosystem, but you want to create more opportunities because we all appreciate that too much concentration long-term can have a very clear adverse effect on us as consumers. How you go about this, I mean, that's an open debate and that's what makes it so interesting, so fascinating. Yeah, well, thank you so much for um, debating with us today. It's been really fun. And let's replay this podcast in 10 years time and um, see how our predictions have fared. But for now, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. For more information on this topic, or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.